upon a star. Now we want you to share with us our latest and greatest dream. Disneyland. Just go to Action Park, there's no other park like it. Six Flags Great Adventure. It's not a world away. Paramount's Kings Island. We will officially open Universal Studios Florida. Hello, I'm Michael Eisner. Now, here is your host. Hi, Defunct Land guests. My name is Kevin Perger, and welcome back to the Defunct Land podcast. In this special episode, we will wrap up our discussion with former Imagineer and puppeteer Terry Harden. This episode is going to be a series of tangents that did not fit into our original discussion. If you've been listening, you know full well that Terry is an extremely accomplished individual, and we've been so lucky to have her on the podcast. Terry, you've done so much during your career, and yet somehow you've done all of these things, but I am most interested in your work on the 2002 film adaption of the Country Bear Jamboree, um, The Country Woo-hoo! Bears. Uh, I This is one of my biggest guilty pleasure movies, both as just a person and as a theme park enthusiast. I love this movie. I don't I don't necessarily know why. It has some sort of charm to it. Maybe it's the music. The music's really catchy. Um, and this, uh, it's one of those, it's a theme park adaption and big theme park enthusiasts. And, uh, if you have not been, uh, looking at them, they're not always uh, huge on film adaptions, such as, you know, novels. The novels are always better than the movie is also true for theme parks. But for some reason, um, this movie just is one of the best theme park adaptions for me. Um, so what, uh, so tell me about your experience working on the country bears. What did you do? Um, how was it? Just anything about it. Well, thank you, first of all. Um, Country Bears was a very interesting project because they had great hopes for it, and then at the last minute, they changed it and released it. So originally, it was supposed to be about the bears, and I think if they had kept it more about the bears and left it about the human people, because it is the Country Bears, I think it would have been a better movie. That being said, it was number five in the family favorites of that year. So it was in the top 10 family favorites. Nobody went to the theater to see it. (laughs) It got crucified at the theaters because Austin Powers just kind of smashed it. But afterwards, as a video, um, people bought it and bought it and bought it. And it became the number, number five, one of the top 10 family film. So that made me feel really good. Um, the, the, I played Big Al and I played Trixie and what oh, you that did? means. Yes. No way. Yes. And it's very funny. Um, I'm going to try and keep this short, but with me, I'm tend to be long winded. So you may have to, you know, make it short on your own, but I'll tell you what That's I can. That's absolutely fine. Tell me everything. Um, I was discovered by Jim Henson in 1982, but we didn't really get to work until 1989. In 1989, as you know, shortly thereafter, the year after, he passed away. And I thought my career with the Hensons was gone. I thought a lot of my opportunities with the Hensons were gone because I worked almost exclusively with Jim at the time. But to my joy, he had shared me. He had talked about me with uh, his family, and one of the people was Brian. So Brian contacted me soon after, and I became a member of the Um, Jim Henson company and I've been a member with them to this day and the way that works is that you kind of sit and go about your life and then when they have a project they think you might be good for they call you into audition that's the way things work nowadays nobody has you on retainer Um, even Imagineering tends to bring you in more as a consultant than they do as an employee nowadays so 
no problem. They called me about the country bears and uh, they told me that they were going to bring some people into the Disney company to read for the characters and to, and they sent me a script to my home. They messengered it to me and then you got to read the script. Well, number one, they sent me the wrong script. (laughs) So (laughs) you can see how high, you can see how high on the totem pole I was. It did say country bears and then it did have the characters but when I went into audition and I started playing with the lines, they said, what script do you have? And I said, this one. And they went, that's the wrong one. And they handed me another one. And I was like, okay, whatever. How do I know? But uh, they were very surprised because they asked me what characters I wanted to play. And I said, I want to play Big Al. Right. Like you, I'm a fan of the Country Bears. I go into, I went into that attraction very often. And I thought this movie was going to help it to stay in the parks and to, as you all know, it didn't. It was actually taken out before the movie was released, which was kind of a heartbreaker. But Big Al is everyone's, well, is my favorite. And I feel a lot of my collectors and fans, it's their favorite too. But when I came in and said Big Al, they were in shock. Big Al, are you <laughs> kidding? And I was like, no. And they said, okay. And I, and I said, is there a problem? And they said, no, no, it's just all the other puppeteers. Um, and there were six of us that auditioned. Uh, the other puppeteers want to do Henry or Barry. And I'm like, oh, no, 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 no. I don't want to do Henry, and I don't want to read for Barry. I want to read for Big Al. So I did. And uh, then I got a call two weeks later, and I was told that I was being dropped from the film. So if you wanted, they, they had to drop a puppeteer. So I knew I was in the top ten. Now I knew I was number six. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> because you're out. And I actually was very sad. I actually teared up. And I and I said, why am I crying? It's just a movie. It's not that big of a deal. But it, I guess it affected me more than I expected. And that was around March. Then around Christmas, I think it was like December 7th, I get a phone call from the Disney Studios. And they say, where do we send your contracts? And I'm like, for what? And they said, Country Bears. And I went, excuse me? And he said, I have it on my paperwork, Terry Harden to play Big Al and Trixie. And I went, and Trixie? And uh, and they said, yes. And I said, how quickly can you get that contract over? Because I think there might have been some mistake. And he says, nope, nope, no mistake. You're going to play these two characters. And I was like, shut the front door. What a great Christmas present, because not only did I get to play Big Al, but I got to play Trixie. What does that mean? It means that these were audio animatronic characters that had a person inside making the body move and the head turn, and a puppeteer on the outside making the facial expressions and doing the voice, the scratch track voice or the voice. So I was the puppeteer on the outside, and I worked with two very talented performers inside of the two characters. So to my surprise, it was not a mistake, and we started rehearsals. We had long rehearsals. One of the things that Disney wanted to do to us was to give us a pre-recorded soundtrack like they do with animation, The problem with this, we all told them, was that they were doing a serious mistake. Animation is one thing, but to confine a puppeteer to a pre-recorded track, you're actually losing the charm of the movie that you can have. 
And Disney was very adamant. First of all, they weren't going to use any of our voices as puppeteers, and we do our own voices, like, duh, we do. Right. And um, But they said they wanted professionals, which is an insult. It's like calling a woman babe, you know. Oh, well, we need professional voiceover people. And you're like, seriously? Are you kidding? But they were insistent. So what happened was Disney insisted on this scratch, this this pre-recorded, and we insisted Henson's company. And all the puppeteers insisted, no, 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 you don't want to do this. Because puppeteers are nuts. We are inside of things, not on them. We are under things, not on them. So, for example, we're under the floor. We're in the couch. We're in the chair. So it makes you a little bit goofy. You have to be have a good sense of humor, and you have to be a goofy character, which we all are. And so we kept saying there's these magical puppet moments that you get. But if you don't allow us to have these magical puppet moments, you're really going to make the movie canned. So um, Brian suggested that we do one of each, where we do a performance to the pre-recorded track and a performance on our own. And uh, Tennessee Bear, who you know falls in love with Trixie, we did the scene where he's sitting in front, where he's the marriage counselor. Right, yeah. So we did that scene. Right. So in the original, the voiceover guy, because imagine, if you will, let me paint the picture for you and your listeners. You have a microphone, you have a stand and you have a script. And the line is Trixie, Trixie. And and oh, my love, you guys are so lucky, blah, blah, blah. So the guy who read it went Trixie. Trixie, oh, my love. And he gave it his all. I'm not going to tell you that he did it poorly. He did it great, but he did it for animation. And the girl, Julianne Busher, who was the puppeteer, and Jody, who was inside, one of the best suit performers, um, did the best they could with the pre-recorded track. But then when they were let go, this is what they did. And Julie... Uh, we have what's called the big one system. So it's like it's got a joystick and it's got what's called a Waldo. And a Waldo allows us to open and close our hands like a puppet and the head of the character responds via radio control or hardwire. But in this case, it was radio controlled, okay? So when we open the mouth and we uh, do the joystick at the same time, we can make the gums separate, we can show the teeth. So if you remember that scene, he really, really cried. So that's what Julie did. She went, Trixie! <laughs> oh, Trixie! And it was hilarious. So mm-hmm. Disney said, okay, Uncle, you win, and they let us do it. But we had to actually audition and fight for the puppeteer's right to not have a pre-recorded soundtrack. So that's how we were able to do the movie. And I think whenever you see the bears, they're wonderful. And I could go on and on about country bears forever. But in in the case of Big Al, I'll just tell you that Big Al was an 80-pound suit and an 80-pound head. Wow. And the head hung in front and was attached, the helmet and then the head in the front and then bungee cords to the back. And no suit performer could move in it so they flew john alexander out now john alexander is known for gorillas in the mist he's known for being the gorilla in the new 
Mighty Joe Young that was done with, I think, Charlize Theron. And then he also played the crazy guy in the spaceship in Men in Black. So he's really, really a well-known, um, extremely qualified suit performer. So they flew him out, and we rehearsed together. And we soon realized that Big Al just couldn't move quickly like the other bears. So we created this geisha shuffle that you see in the movie where he shuffles <laughs> over and goes, Game off my lawn, you know. <laughs> <laughs> right. I remember that. I remember that that did that stuck that sticks out to me in the mm-hmm. movie because mm-hmm. uh, a lot of these things that you're saying just um, makes me realize because the movie um, watching it um, it has a bit of that uncanny valley effect um, with yes. some of the bears because like as you said that the someone else who is voicing it for animation and then someone who's doing it for pu- for uh, puppetry uh, it does have that kind of you don't know what what's off about some of those scenes. Um, yes. but, but as you're describing, the voiceover and puppeteering is separate. And so that kind of makes more sense. Yes, they actually had to come in and record it after we were done. We were laying a scratch track and then the voices laid it in, which makes it sound kind of cans. It's too bad, but that's what they that's what they wanted. They wanted the quote unquote professional voices. Now, when you go back and watch the movie, those of you who are country bear enthusiasts, first of all, it's one of the most wonderful soundtracks of all time. In my opinion, it's got beautiful music. Absolutely. The music is amazing. We were going to be on the country cover of the actual Rolling Stone. And then, uh, it all fell through because people started, the production started reading the internet and people on the internet started blasting the movie before they saw it which is always sad because then Disney get got all weird and scared and they pulled back a lot of the advertising they were going to do for Country Bears. So, And then they rewrote it up and made it more about these two cops that were chasing it and the boy who's going after Barry, and it lost its charm because it was really about the four bears at, at the encouragement of Barry reestablishing themselves as the Country Bear Band. But, oh, well, we still had great people come to see us. I got to meet Bonnie Raitt, and I got to meet um, um, Eagles, and I got to meet uh, Stray Cats, and I got to meet... We almost met uh, Aerosmith, but Aerosmith decided we weren't big enough, and I wrote to them and (laughs) said, we don't want you in our movie. I don't care about Aerosmith either, so good luck. Um, (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) But we met some great people, Queen Latifah. Everybody had a great time. I remember that the end of the movie, the credits of the Country Bears, um, mm-hmm. the uh, there is the in the credits scene. There's all of these uh, cameos that you yes. don't see in the movie. Yes. Um, what 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 happened there? I mean, I, they 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 presented that as almost you should have seen this at some point, but you never did. Again, that was it was fear. They had me work on Big Al. We sang Blood in the Saddle, and. And we yodeled, you know, Al yodeled and he sang Blood in the Saddle. And it was fantastic. We filmed it. But who drops Blood in the Saddle? You know, <laughs> but they did. And um, it was and I, I'm not saying it for me. I'm saying that I wait in, you know, I waited at the Jamboree for Blood in the Saddle all the time. So I was quite surprised when Blood in the Saddle, Saddle was cut. And we, you know, John and I worked very hard on making that extremely interesting. And uh, so, yes, those cameos. Also, if you slow-mo the audience that comes to see the band at the final finale of the movie, most of those are my Disney collectors and enthusiasts. Oh, really? 
Yes, and the reason this happened was because extras in Hollywood, you've got people who take it seriously, but most people are kind of like, oh, yawn, you know, we're cattle, blah, 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 whatever they're thinking. I don't know what they think when you're a movie extra. But the only way to get to the Disney Ranch was to be in a film. You cannot tour it. You can only go if you're in a film. So all of my collectors and fans are going, what is it like to be on the ranch, blah, 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 Spin and Marty, blah, blah, blah. They went on and on. And finally, I heard the director say, we're having real trouble with our extras. We just caught a bunch of them smoking something they shouldn't be in the corner. We had to get rid of them. We're having a lot of challenges. And I said, you know, I can send out a message via email and some of my podcast people that if you want extras, they'll come and I can get you a couple hundred if you want. And he's and I said, and these are Disney enthusiasts. They won't even want to be paid. They just want to get their feet upon the ranch. And uh, he said, okay, do that. So we did. And we had probably about 100 people come out. They were in the audience. Um, the director was nice enough to feature a lot of them. And so they probably all bought the film so that they could slow-mo and show their family, look, I was in the Country Bears movie. They allowed me to give them tours all over the ranch so that they could see all this stuff that they really wanted. Country Bear Hall is still there to this day because they do uh, parties for Disney, uh, company parties there inside the, the hall. And it was in, so in, beautiful. Inside Country Bear Hall? Yeah, yeah. The hall is still there because it was gorgeous when it was built. It was really built. So it lights the way it lights. It's actually a functioning hall so disney decided to keep it for the future and i'm really glad they did because it's absolutely beautiful but when everybody came up to shoot and they were my collectors and fans i got a message from the third ad who kind of corrals everybody third assistant director and he walked over and he said oh my goodness terry these are the most wonderful pleasant joyful people I have had the pleasure of working with in the history of my career. And he said, do you know what I, they said when I told them, I told them that they had to fill out a form because, you know, we had to have a place to mail the check. They all said, we get paid. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, that would be the reaction. They just, they just, uh, they just had probably the time of their lives and they got paid to do it. And many of them, you know, would write to me and say, I don't want to cash the check because Mickey Mouse is on it. And I said, take a picture and cash the check. <laughs> so, <laughs> but they, but they were just joyful and everybody loved them. So a lot of things that we filmed didn't happen because of these people going on the internet and blasting it before it was even seen. And it was shaping up to be, it was shaping up to be a whole different movie than what it was. And and uh, what it turned out to be. But it's still, it's still like you said, it's really sweet. The soundtrack is off the chain. If you buy the soundtrack, you're not going to be disappointed at some of the most beautiful music. And then the movie has got its, you know, has its moments. One of the things you, if you're a fan and fans are of the Country Bears, let me tell you something about the puppets, which are life-size puppets with a person inside. The only way the person, the suit performer, we call them, can see is when the mouth is open. So there's some scenes you should watch and understand how difficult they actually were. Um, The young lady who plays Barry, she had to run the length of a football field as Barry when he decides to run back home with only the mouth to be viewed. But as a puppeteer who was puppeteering her, her 
head and face, we can't just leave the mouth open for her to run. We have to make it look real because it's on a big movie screen. So we had to create breaths. And every time on, she could get a glimpse of where she was running. But if you watch that, she's full out. She does not hold back. She, she, Misty is her name. She, she, she just full out runs this whole length. And we had spotters hidden in the bushes and she had a track that she could kind of feel under her feet on the grass, but that's it for all of that. So it's a really amazing performance when you see um, Zeb play violin in The Devil and Daniel with the guy from The Stray Cats again. He can only see and really get a good breath when the mouth is open. And so that huge scene that he did where he's playing the violin like crazy, he would collapse on a chair and then we have handlers that would stick a fan in his mouth so he could get air. But it's it's phenomenal, these performers, the physical strength that they have to have to carry these suits around and to make them perform as well as have the stamina to get through a take. So it's just so impressive. So then we take Trixie. Everybody was worried about Trixie because it was a newer performer. Her name was Denise. And the problem was, was that they kept getting after us for moving at all because all the bears are brown and she's blonde. So anytime Trixie would go touch her head or something, they would go too much Trixie. So we had to figure out because we were a background bear, how to keep her alive without distracting from the other four bears. And then as a reward, we were given her musical number. When Tennessee discovers she's playing at this hotel, Barry, Barry comes back and says, She's singing here tonight. Do you want, how about you go see her? And we were singing. The original script said that we would film Trixie singing and then we would cut to some cheesy romping in the woods with a picnic and leaping and barf, basically. Right. And so we as performers said, we have to make this performance so good that they don't cut away from us when we're singing. We have to make that song Incredible, And we rehearsed and we rehearsed and we rehearsed. So, for example, and you can't see me, but I will describe it. Trixie had to be able to find the microphone. She has to reach for the microphone with her mouth mostly closed. And she's got to nail it or it's blown, right? So I had to figure out little breaths for her to take in order to spot the microphone, and in the beginning, you just leave the mouth hang open and she moves the head to target the microphone. So it's this poor bear with her mouth open going, ah, trying to find the microphone. And then you close it and you practice. And if you watch her, we do it, we do it very, very well. And the reason is because she says, um, she, she takes a breath and she reaches for the microphone. So, um, so she'll go, thank you. And then she'll turn and she'll, you know, after she sees Trixie and whatever, she she turns and she grabs the microphone and she sings, did I lose your love a long time ago? <laughs> and it's just amazing. And afterwards, everyone was crying after we did the performance and they said we don't need to, to shoot anything else. And it was such a beautiful compliment um, to the, to both of us, to, to Tennessee, but mainly 
to Trixie because that was our princess moment. The day was ours, and we worked very hard to make it. And and if you watch it, just remember, she can't see unless that mouth opens. So I have to figure out natural ways to help her spot where she is and where she needs to go without making it look abnormal. That is so that is so interesting. I, I, I didn't really think about that. You think about the large body costumes usually having some sort of uh, thing to have them see out of because we're so used to imagining mascots where they have the, the double-layered um, eyes or something to where mm-hmm. you, you can't mm-hmm. see inside but they can see out. But... You know, those were, it was an entirely animatronic face, as you said. Yes. Um, you could control the eyes as well as the mouth. Yes, and cheeks and expressions. So if we had a joystick, we could not only blink the eyes and make them go wide, but we could also roll the joystick into different positions to do happy or sad or angry or cross or, or you know, we could just roll it into the position. And we program that ourselves. We, many different performers, we have each have our own systems and we program them to us. So if someone had to do, there's one scene where um, I have to be Big Al and Trixie and I can't perform both. So another person comes on and has to quickly adapt it for him. I just show him the basics because she's in the background when I'm doing Big Al, but he has to make her look alive just the same. So I would run him through my program and he would, you know, he would shift it and then save it under himself so that we could we could do that. And the fact that you didn't think about it means we did our job. And that's what I tell people when you look at how these bears move and they perform and how sweet they are. This is not computer generated. This is all live action practical. And the suits are hot and they're heavy. It's not an easy thing to do. But yet we go back every time to do it over and over and over again. I would never wish to be someone in a suit. I did that once before, and it's a very grueling. I love being the puppeteer on the outside that's kind of overseeing and taking care of the suit performer within. As, as someone that knows a lot about the Country Bear uh, attraction that's now in Walt Disney World, used to be in Disneyland, it does give more to the adaption um, because they're real. They're not CGI. It would have been really easy for Disney to do the early 2000s, late 90s CGI characters running around. That would have looked terrible. Yes. But uh, that was that was the rage back then um, to have those CGI characters everywhere. So I'm glad they didn't do that. But just the uh, the mechanics and the puppeteering, it almost gives more to the theme park adaption because it feels like the animatronics came to life almost. Yes. And I think that's what I think that's what we wanted to do, Kevin, is that we wanted to give you a still. It was the first live action. So they wanted to keep it tied to the attraction because everyone wanted people. We knew the attraction was on the chopping block. So we were hoping the movie would inspire people to keep that attraction. And to this day at Disneyland, I don't think they've properly replaced it. I don't. We miss it. So a few more things um, about this film. Uh, You uh, are with the Jim Henson Company, correct? Yes. So you have most likely seen The Muppets 2011. Yes. Okay. Um, I have a theory. The Muppets 2011 and Country Bear Jamboree um, are the exact same movie. So they both have a human character, or they both have a... uh, so they both have a human character whose brother or relative is one of the lost 
characters of the main group. So a lost Muppet in a human family or a lost bear in a human mm-hmm. family. Mm-hmm. Um, they both go on a journey to find the group as Barry does. And as Walter does, um, they both find the group who is about to lose their theater. So they have to go one by one and pick up the band. Um, they both theaters are being threatened by an evil oil tycoon that has trying to drill under the theater to find the oil, both of which are played by actors named Chris. Um, <laughs> And then there's a thousand other similarities. There's shots of buses from helicopters going across um, the uh, going across highways. It's just I should do a full video just on all you the similarities should. between these movies. And I, I can't figure it out. Did anybody notice this? I mean, it's both the Jim Henson Company. This movie, the similarities are so striking. Well, actually, the Muppet when you talk about is a is a Disney based film because the Muppets were sold to Disney and. Disney duplicates really well. Well, the uh, with the and I did I, I watched uh, the first seven episodes of the Muppets, um, the new one, and I, I just I couldn't get through it just because I was watching this and they were so obviously trying to uh, appeal to um, wider audiences. They were trying to make it more adult, I guess, because they I think they got into their um, brains that somehow the Muppets were made for adults, but they were always made for everyone families. If you go back and watch mm-hmm. the Muppet Show, the original, these uh, the um, and I don't know about your opinions on this, but the the humor in that show wasn't adult humor. It was very clever, and adults could appreciate it. I mean, one of the mm-hmm. most fa- famous gags from the Muppet Show still makes me laugh. The uh, um, the bear's wearing a necktie. He's not a bear. He's wearing a necktie. And yeah. uh, good grief, the comedian's a bear. That is yeah. just classic old-fashioned comedy, and it's just it's it's genius, and it um, the puns are genius, but it's not it's not sex and violence, which is actually the pilot of the Muppet Show was called Sex and Violence, and it was trying to get away from that. So just to bring it back into that you know realm is kind of weird. It's crazy, okay? It's like if you think this is the thing that always I question: if Kevin can watch the old shows, why can't Disney? watch the old shows and get a feel for what they are before they start writing. Mm -hmm. And they, you know, Fozzie Bear stealing never, never, ever, ever would Fozzie Bear steal. Yet they think it's funny. He steals an ashtray from Jay Leno and I'm not finding it funny at all. And I'm not finding Miss Piggy being nasty to Kermit funny at all. It's, it's hurting me as a, as someone who loved these characters. And, you know, they kept saying, well, we were, you know, Disney was saying we're making it for a new generation. No, 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 you make it for the joy of these characters. What are the, who are these characters? What do they do? What makes them fun? Watch a few shows. You don't have to recreate Jim's show, but you need to keep the characters true to who they are or people won't watch. And by the time they understood this, it was too late. It was like a plane flying to a mountain, pull up, pull up, pull up, pull up, pull up, and it's too late. Because the last three shows, if you go back and look at them, Kevin, are wonderful. Especially the one about the piggy tail, which I absolutely, I got to shoot work on that one, and I really, really loved it because the message was sweet. Um, the the guest star relayed to us um you know, some of the things that she had been through, and she was very honored to be a part of that episode, but it was just too late. People had left, you know, and 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 they weren't coming back. They fired their showrunner, they rewrote scripts, 
but it was just it was just too late. Yeah, the uh, and and that's what uh, and that's kind of the the main the main thing I watched the show and thought was Kermit, you know, is mean, and um and in mm-hmm. some of the episodes, and that's what is so um there is a the, you know the Fozzie Bear episode where uh, Kermit goes out to the woods to find him. I forget exactly. There's mm-hmm. some there's some touching moments on their friendship there that you know that and if they would have done more of that, I think to make it more real, because a lot of these characters, um, kind of a running gag even in Henson's time was Miss Piggy forgets the name of the people that she's been with for forty years. Yeah, like that's that's always a running gag because she's self absorbed. But um and so it was interesting to see them in the real life in some of those situations you know like oh this is a real friendship between the two it's not just for skits you know kermit wasn't kermit was never mean if you watch the original muppet movie um the one time he breaks down is because he's disappointed in himself for not being able to fulfill everyone's dream yeah it's not because yeah one of my favorite yeah and then he goes and has the conversation with himself that i mean that's kermit you can't have one of my favorite scenes in the muppet movie is the two of them you know oh kermit and they're having would you like to would you like to smell the bottle cap that whole <laughs> restaurant scene and then she gets a phone call and Marty what do you want and uh-huh yeah. how much uh-huh yeah. uh-huh uh-huh <laughs> okay she hangs up Take it. um goodbye <laughs> you know i mean right. that it's it's just it's just great and frank the problem with disney is they grabbed a lot of sound likes as soon as they owned the muppets they they their goals appeared to be to eliminate the original performers or to at least have people to understudy them, which was very challenging for me to feel good about. I don't I remember auditioning and they're saying, What Muppets can you do? And me saying, Look, I never strived to imitate any of the established Muppets. I've never imitated any of them, because they have their souls. And pe- and the people auditioning me just kind of looked at me and said, well, then, if you're here, what can you do? And I said, I can do Peppy's girlfriend. They didn't have a girlfriend. I said, I could do, you know, another character, but I, I just don't think it's right to be trying to do this. And this is why some of the challenges Steve Whitmire fe- fe- you know, faced, because he was working so hard to keep the integrity of the characters and so on and so forth. And, you know, sometimes when you fight a battle, um, then other people will write you as being, you know, uh, a diva, not not playing the game and so on and so forth. And he just wanted the integrity of the characters to, to, st- to, to be maintained. You know, Jim Henson handpicked Stephen to play Kermit, and he took that very seriously. So... Oh yeah, um, he. T- yeah. I mean the uh, the the uh, first special, the Jim the Jim Henson special after mm-hmm. his passing, um, where Kermit says like one line, and the entire thing builds up to Kermit's reappearance. I mean that you can never get rid of Kermit, no. but you can you can because and you can't get rid of the main cast. I understand. Mm-hmm. I, I get that, but 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 Disney did. I think the only people that are still involved with Muppets that are actual people who did the characters back then are uh, Dave Golds who does Gonzo, and uh, gosh, I can't think if there's anybody else. I think they're all new people. So this yeah. Hollywood Bowl thing that's happening on Sunday, which I'm not available to go to, I just hope that they've learned their lesson and now will let people do the characters, you know, the way the characters were meant to do. 
or it won't be successful. So I'm praying it's very successful because they want to bring back these these lovable characters. But but the Henson Company doesn't do anything with them anymore. They're off creating their own thing. In fact, right now they're working on a new dark crystal, I understand. So that's what they're focused on. They're, they're you know, they've sold the Muppets. Muppets are, you know, that's it. The Well, the this, this does relate back to what I do on Defunct Land in that um, we talk a lot about these new rides that are being put in some of the um, parks. Um, and I, again, I don't know your opinions on this, so uh, maybe maybe you disagree, but the, some of these new attractions are being placed in that are based solely on intellectual property that seems to already be fleeting, whether it be Guardians of the Galaxy or Ratatouille or these, these, um, these IPs that aren't necessarily timeless just yet um, that we're putting in the parks for a couple years and then we'll switch it out with something new later. Um, that is something that we're really worried about because it keeps replacing some of the classic Disney rides and our favorite things to see. Um, mm-hmm. And so it's almost as if um, Disney and a lot of these, and as well as Universal Studios uh, and a, a lot of these other companies are thinking they know what the fans want, but that's always going to be the issue. You can never go off of what yeah. your audience wants. You have to tell them what they want because we people, um, for lack of a better word, are stupid, honestly. Audiences as a whole, they don't know what they love until you give it to them. So if they love something already and you try to give it to them, they're never going to like it as much as you think they will. You can you can never say um, you can never do these short term things, whether it be uh, something like the Muppets trying to like, oh, you want to see the Muppets do this, you want to see the Muppets do this. No, they, you, they don't know they don't realize why they like the Muppets. Give them the reason they love the Muppets, or give them the reason they love the parks because of the creativity, yes. not because they can see Remy the Rat run around while you spin in a car. It's it's all these yes. things that they're they're playing the game backwards it seems and that's going to be so. that's going to be an issue for the future. I think that they I think that they they think they want, you know, they use this thing that really drives me crazy which is, you know, Walt wanted to always see progress in his park, ever changing park, and to me that's like their band-aid answer. We'll use this when we when this is what we'll use when we have problems <laughs> with people, you know, we will yeah. use statement number 355. Yes, Walt said that, and I agree. But Walt also didn't plan to be dead. <laughs> you know, I never heard him say, after I die, please get... Um, he, he wanted it to progress, but he wanted it to progress with passion and understanding. Don't throw a Starbucks into Main Street because Starbucks is the highest bidder. And, you know, I'm going to put that in there because Starbucks really wants it in there so they can make money. This is my problem is I'm looking at the park thinking, are you putting it in because you care about your collect, your collectors and fans and, um, you know, the people going there, or are you doing it because you know it's going to make big money? Star Wars was inevitable because it's such a big money thing that you couldn't ignore Star Wars. But I hope you incorporate it in such a way, especially at Disneyland, because at least in Florida, you have a place where you, excuse me, can incorporate it. Right. It incorporates very well in the portion of the park that's in Florida. I love coming around the corner and seeing that big walker and seeing all the Star Wars transition that Florida has provided. Disneyland, on the other hand, I'm hoping they will take that into account and give us that same, and I know the Imagineers are very good, so they'll probably give us that same, but what 
many people are saying after seeing the model at the D23 convention is, I hope it doesn't encroach in the other lands. You don't want to look at Big Thunder and see some giant Star Wars thing behind the mountain. You want everything to be clean because that is the one thing that Walt meticulously did with his Imagineers was although you had New Orleans Square and you had Adventureland and you had Frontierland, none encroached on the other. They merely blended like paint into the next one and the next one and the next one. And that's the thing that we're all hoping that they continue to do. But we don't know because this is a new wave of people who seem to have a different agenda. So you're not sure. That being said, when I went to Shanghai, I was blown away by the Pirates of the Caribbean ride, and I didn't think I was going to like it. I, I saw videos, and I went, oh, this just looks awful to me. And then I wrote it, and it, and it is my favorite attraction in Shanghai. I wrote it three times, and there were... You had to go as single rider, otherwise you were four hours in line because there are billions of people in China. And the China, <laughs> the China park can handle a million people. So luckily they weren't there the day we were there, but there was a board like that would help you with, you know, like the board about fast passes, which are gone in the first like spit of a minute. But there were lines that were like uh, Soren was four hours Tron was three, you know, these huge lines. But luckily they had, in some of the rides, single riders, so then it would knock it down to like an hour, something manageable. But um, but Pirates was amazing. It was the perfect blend between audio-animatronic characters and computer-generated images. And I said, leave it to the Imagineers to do what I have been begging films to do for years, which is to come use it as a tool in your toolkit, not either or. It doesn't have to be practical or computer. It can be both. In some cases, the audio animatronics are more real, are easier to perform off of, are easier to act against. So do those practically. And then when the thing needs to fly, jump a chasm, do something incredible that you can't do practically, then transition into CG and make that happen. Because when they're blended, it just makes such a beautiful experience. Pirates of the Caribbean, the first time I wrote it in Shanghai, my mouth was open the entire time. I just could barely breathe. I was so overcome with dazzlement on how amazing this ride is. And then the second time I wrote it, it broke down, which made me even happier because then as an artist, I could see what was working where, how it was being blended and all of the behind the scenes stuff that I just gobble up. But it's huge and only Shanghai has the space for it to fit. I can't imagine it coming to Florida and I just can't imagine it coming to Disneyland because it takes such a vast amount of space to create it but it's wonderful it's worth the price of admission to going to Shanghai and then Florida's got Tron coming and I think that is another genius experience except for that people are telling me that the Pandora ride in Animal Kingdom uses kind of a similar um uses the similar system so I'm trying to get down there as soon as I can so that I can see it before the parks start to shift because the park will start to redo some things or not do some things 
that the Imagineers have envisioned because they they just don't. So if you went to Indiana Jones and Disneyland originally, it was so exciting, and now all of that is gone. You maybe get the the screen with the you get the screen with the video movie, but you don't get anything that was there originally because Disneyland, the park said we're we're not going to do it. So that is it for our discussion with Terry Harden. She's been so kind to give us some of her time to talk about her incredible life, and I can't thank her enough. As always, don't forget to review, rate, and subscribe to the podcast. Thank you for listening, and thank you for visiting Defunctland. Did I lose your love a long time ago? Did I just wear it out? Baby, I don't know.